Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash stuff today for details. Hello there. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor at How Stuff Works. And as usual, I have Jonathan Strickland, one of our senior writers with me. Hi. Oh, I'm sorry. I was a bit lost. Lost? Yes. Perhaps you need a way to find yourself. <laughs> As you can tell, this is one of our corny segues directly into the podcast topic, which today are, is all about GPS and the games you get to play with them. You know, I don't have a GPS, so I've never experienced this, but I think it's fascinating that yeah. you would take something as, I don't know, utilitarian as a GPS device and find a way to play a game with it. Right, yeah. And... um well, I'll talk a little bit about the history of GPS and, and and kind of how it works, kind of explain how this came about. Yeah, I mean, the fascinating thing about it is it started out as a military thing. Right. Technically, it kind of started out as a science fiction thing. But, um, <laughs> That's true. So, so <laughs> when you put it that way. Yeah. I just, hey, you know, Arthur C. Clarke, got to give him props. So, um, so Global Positioning System, or GPS, this is a system that utilizes uh, a, a kind of location um, system called three-dimensional trilateration. All right, that's a fancy way of saying that you f- determine where your position is on a sphere by measuring the distance between you and a satel- and several satellites. Usually it's at least three satellites, if not more. And by measuring the distance between yourself and the satellite, you can figure out where you are in pretty specific terms uh, upon that sphere. The sphere, of course, being Earth. Right. Kind of funny how that works, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So you're you're you know it's kind of like triangulation, but it's again called trilateration. And uh, the way you measure your distance from the satellite is that your your GPS receiver sends a signal up and then receives a signal back from the satellite. It determines how long it took the signal to go out and back, and that tells it how far away it is from the satellite. Because, of course, the signal's always going to travel at the same speed, right? right? So by doing this multiple times with multiple satellites, you can determine your position on the Earth. Um, there's more in there that we could talk about. I mean, there's some really cool science behind it, because uh, obviously a satellite orbiting the Earth, it's traveling at a very fast speed as it orbits, which means relativity comes into play. You can't just put a regular clock on a satellite and expect it to stay synced to your clock on Earth. You have to figure in relativity. That's cool, don't you think? It is, and it's also cool that it can tell where you are from tens of thousands of miles in space. Yeah. Because it has to stay out at that distance in order to keep its geosynchronous orbit. Yes, exactly. Which is really Pretty fascinating. Yeah, it is pretty cool stuff. So anyway, that's technically how the GPS works. It, it's measuring the those distances and then determining your location. You take a look, and you, most GPS systems now they have a map uh, a function where it just it shows your location on the map. And as you move around, uh, your your movements are reflected in that map. You can see. But early GPS systems often what they would do is give you coordinates and mm-hmm. tell you where you were based. You know, you'd have to use coordinates and then refer to a a, a physical map to determine where you were. And 
early in the, the life of GPS systems, it was, as Chris mentioned, a military application. And so as a military application, the government didn't really want citizens being able to use this with any sort of real precision. That's why they used uh, selective availability. Yeah, yeah. But that's mostly been revoked. Oh, yeah, I mean, totally. at, at one point it was – what. um 10 meters or something like that? Yeah. What would, accuracy? Hap- what would happen is the government created these algorithms that would insert artificial errors into the signal so that people using a civilian GPS system would never be able to tell for sure if the coordinates they received were accurately reflecting where they, they were standing. And it was, you know, you, the closest you could determine is around 300 feet. That was about as close as you could figure out that you would be. Um, you, know, you, you could never be sure. It could be further than that even, uh, depending on the errors that were inserted into the uh, the signal. But in 2000, the U.S. revoked this, this policy of selective availability, and then it became possible to determine your position within, you know, 6 to 20 feet accuracy. And now, you know, it's pretty good. It's pretty, pretty accurate, which gave – rise to the ability to play games using your GPS. That's true. And, um, you know, we're not talking football here. No, we're, really. we're talking about, uh, well, it's almost like hide and seek in some ways. Oh, yeah. Or treasure hunting is treasure another way hunting. of looking at it. Yes. Um, yeah. So the, the biggest game that folks play, or the, the, perhaps the most popular, uh, biggest is probably the wrong word, most popular right. game would be geocaching. Right. Now, geocaching started when this uh, this this fellow out in I believe it was California. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as selective availability was, as soon as that was uh, dismissed, he's like, "Hey, I have this cool idea. I'll go out into the woods. I'll hide a box out there with a little prize in it, and I will um, I will mark the location. I'll I'll figure out where I'll carry GPS uh, receiver with me. I will fi- write down the coordinates for the box. I'll go back." upload the coordinates to the web and challenge people to try and find it. And I think within the first couple of days, someone had found it. Wow. Um, so even this early on, there were enough enthusiasts who were just waiting for this opportunity to really kind of play with these receivers they had access to. Uh, but they didn't, you know, of course, with the selective availability, they couldn't really do it. Now that it was gone, the sky was the limit. And that gave birth to geocaching. Excuse me. And so... With geocaching, the general idea is that you you create a cache or a box of some sort, a container of some sort, um, and you hide it in a location. You put some stuff in it. Usually there's a log book, mm-hmm. um, and there's often some little trinkets in there. And you uh, what you do is you, you upload the coordinates to a website for geocachers, and the geocachers went, you know, if they're planning a trip out, they say, hey, you know, I wanted to go hiking. Uh, along this trail, and there are some some caches that are along the trail. Let me see how many of them I can find while I'm out there. Right. They take their receiver with them. They go hiking. They look at the numbers. They try and find the cache. If they find it, they sign the logbook. They can take a trinket, and usually they leave a trinket behind. And a lot of geocachers have specific things they'll leave behind, so that way you know who's been to the box before. Sort of like the uh, the Pink Panther in yeah. the original movie. That he has, exactly. You have your calling card, exactly, so to speak. Right. So, you know, you could look down and if you see, I don't know, like a Smurf, you're like, oh, Bill was here because Bill leaves Smurfs. (laughs) Or maybe even maybe it wasn't Bill. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was someone who had visited one of Bill's caches, found the Smurf, and then they used that as the one they traded off when they found the second cache. Mm -hmm. 
And the games can get way more complicated than that. You can maybe get to the first cache, and when you get there, the only thing in it is uh, are, are coordinates to a second cache. Well, and you have to make your way to the next one. And the idea here is not just that you're treasure hunting mm-hmm. or walking all over the place. It's that you're experiencing the outdoors. And, and ideally, the cachers hide these things in locations that are, you know, beautiful or, or remarkable in some way so that the, the journey really is part of the, the enjoyment and the destination is part of the enjoyment. It's not just that you found the, the cache. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, there's another one that's very similar. Geodashing? Yeah, I've heard of that one too. Uh, where there's a list of waypoints mm-hmm. and you have to, uh, it's sort of like a rally, I guess, in a way, because you have a certain spot that you're supposed to go to before you can go to the next spot. And the, the point is to get to as many of them as you can. I mean, try to get to all of them. Um, and you have to be within a hundred meters or so of each point to be able to count that you were there. Right. So, um, and in fact, you're supposed to describe your experience. Mm-hmm. So I guess that you're, you're proving it's like, yeah, I was at the, um, McDonald's on fifth and main, you know, uh, to say, okay, yeah, well, obviously you've been to where we were supposed, you were supposed to go. You know, in the list. So that's, that's kind of interesting because not only are you going to one specific point, but you, you are supposed to, it is the journey. It is going from point to point. Right. You know, and point you A to B and then C and plan different D. routes and, you know, which way is going to be the, the most efficient. And, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's another good game. There's a, there's a similar one called, uh, Geo Vexilla. Oh, yeah. Have you yeah. heard of that one? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, involves so- flags of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing is, they're, they're not really, you're not, if you see like the Spanish flag, you're not supposed to go to Spain. Um, there's a point that's represented by that. So like the McDonald's on fifth and main might be the flag of Spain, but the, the trick is the flags disappear. So you're supposed to get to each one of them before they disappear and something else pops up right? to get credit for actually having visited that spot. Mm-hmm. So, um, so not a- only are there waypoints, but the waypoints come and go. And it's a, yeah. So it really is a race in that case. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you have to really pay attention to see, when something pops up that you can actually make it out to. Yeah. And then, uh, hopefully when you make it out, it's something that you, you know, it's a flag that you actually needed. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's like, you're like, I've got eight Union Jacks, but I need the flag of Portugal. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's, uh, that's another interesting one, another, uh, race oriented, uh, uh, geo game. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard of Shutterspot? I have heard of Shutterspot. This, uh, this is not so much a, a race type of thing, though. No, no, this one, this one's a puzzle almost. It's, yeah. it's, in a way, geocaching is, is very much kind of a puzzle as well. In geocaching, you know, you have the coordinates and then you have to find out where those, you know, you have to find the location that matches those coordinates. Right. Shutterspot is the other way around. You, you find, you're given a picture of a location and you have to see if you can find the spot the photographer first stood in. When he or she took that photo and you then upload those coordinates. Right. So if you saw a picture of, say, Mount Rushmore. Right. You'd have to go to Mount Rushmore and look at it and go, okay, well, obviously the photographer was not standing where I'm standing because this is a completely different view. Right. So I need to be, you know, over to the right. Yeah. Or or 100 yards off to the right or 100 yards off to the left and – and yeah, you have to try and use, you know, you have to match your view to the view of the photograph and then consult your GPS receiver. And it's, say, you know, this is where you are standing and yes or no. Right. Type of thing. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty cool. It's kind of a reversal 
of uh, some of the other games. And and what's interesting here is that a lot of these games um, are based on even older games that happened before there were GPS receivers available on the consumer market. There's mm-hmm. a a game called Letterboxing that is kind of the the I would say the the grandfather to geocaching. Uh-huh. And in Letterboxing, uh, you would use clues and and riddles and poems to try and direct people to a specific location to find this letterbox. And inside the letterbox would be a logbook, very much like the geocaching one, uh-huh. and a stamp. And every person who's letterboxing would carry their own stamp and stamp the, the logbook and then use the logbook stamp to, to stamp their own personal logbook. Oh, okay. So it proves that they visited and, and they have the record of their visit in their own logbook. Mm-hmm. But again, you're not giving coordinates in this case. You're just giving clues. So uh, geocaching is a little more straightforward usually. I mean, you can combine the two where, for example, you follow the 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 coordinates that you get from whichever geocaching website you go to. You get there, and the only thing there is a clue to something else. So mm-hmm. you can combine the two games. There's no... There are no hard and fast rules here. The real point is to create a challenging environment and, uh, and, and, and have people have little adventures out, out, outside of their normal realm of experience, which is, you know, it's definitely, there's something romantic about that. And there's also something really techy about that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, Chris, but I've met a lot of tech geeks who really are like the hopeless romantic type. So this really tends to appeal to their sense of adventure and, and I mean, it's just, it's, it's a little geeky, a little dorky maybe, but you know, I, I could, I wouldn't mind doing it for a weekend. Yeah. You know, go, yeah. go on a nice little hike and see if I could find a, a cache. And they're everywhere. You can check out several different geocaching websites and they're all across the world. The United States in particular, it's, it's pretty popular. Yeah. And if you're, if you're thinking about doing this yourself and actually planting a cache, you need to, uh, check out, there are some sites you should, look at maybe yeah. uh, geocaching.com is one. Uh, but there are rules. You yes. need to be very careful about where you go, even well, either way, when you're planting a cache or when you're going on other people's property, you need to make sure that you are aware whether you're on public or private property and uh, basically abide by the laws because right. and, and and the the wishes of the private property owner if that is if the cash is in fact on somebody's private land because um, they may say yeah sure you can you can put a box in that old tree down there by the lake you know just as long as you're not leaving trash around and and people aren't coming over here and you know stealing my stuff and making a mess and polluting and all sorts of things right you know you, you want to be respectful of other people because it is in fact a game and as soon as uh, people abuse that, then, you know, you're yeah, not, not going to let suffers. you play anymore. Everyone suffers, right? Um, yeah, so, there are know. other good rules to live by. Like if you are on a geocache hunt, you want to be careful not to disturb the environment or, or leave as little an imprint as you possibly can. So, uh, you know, if you see like uh, you got to keep in mind that pe- geocachers tend to like to hide the box. It's not just sitting out in plain view. Right. Uh, but you want to make sure that if you're hiding it, don't hide it someplace where people are going to have to destroy part of the environment in order to get to it. And uh, if you're hunting, keep that in mind that it should not be in a place that's going to make you have to, you know, break a tree branch or 
or or you know go rooting around in the underbrush or whatever. It should be in some location that would cause the least amount of impact on the environment you are in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and keeping going back to the uh, getting permission or, or checking to see what the rules are. Sure. Keep in mind that we live in a uh, uh, a different world than than the year of two thousand. Right. I mean, we we live in a world now where if you were to walk down the street and see a weird box kind of shoved up behind a corner of a building, you might be a little – you might be worried. Yeah. And there are cases where people who were innocently were just trying to hide a geocache have been mistaken for trying to hide something like a bomb. Mm-hmm. And it's – you obviously don't want that to happen. So do keep that in mind. It's It's, you know, it's a fun game to you. And from your perspective, it's fine. But think of it from the person who owns the property or law enforcement. It could be something that, you know, if they're unfamiliar with it, it can be very worrisome. That's true. That's true. And, uh, you know, uh, thinking about it um, with the uh, the recent uh, surge in popularity of smartphones, many of which have GPS devices in them, you know, this is the kind of thing that more people could get behind simply because they'll say, well, I got this GPS thing in my, my iPhone or my, uh, you know, Google Android enabled phone. I, and I don't really use it other than for directions, but I've heard of this geocaching thing. You sure. Know, it's possible that more people will get involved with I it. I wouldn't be surprised to see geocaching applications come mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. where you would be able to access uh, data live and even be able to you know, upload your own find as soon as you find it. I mean, it, it's, it's a, a perfect kind of device for that sort of application. And because it has not just the GPS capability, but of course the, the, the phone capability or even Wi-Fi capability. Although most of the time you're not going to find a cache in a Wi-Fi enabled environment. No, I would, I would imagine not. There, there are urban caches. There are people who hide them in urban places, but those are more rare. For one thing, it's harder to get a signal in an urban environment from mm-hmm. a GPS device. Um, and for another, again, it tends to give law enforcement officials ulcers. Yeah. Well, this was a pretty good discussion, I think, on different games you can play with your GPS. Yeah. Uh, but I've got another discussion we could talk quickly about about uh, treasure hunting in general. But okay. before we get to it, mm-hmm. I think it's about time we uh, thank our sponsor. Oh, you mean Audible.com? Yeah, Audible.com, where you can find thousands and thousands of audio books. And if you sign up at www.audiblepodcast.com slash techstuff, you can get a free download uh, as your first download, and you can pick anything out of, uh, you know, like I said, there's like 50,000 books there. Now, and we have a couple of uh, suggestions. Chris, do you want to go first? Yeah, this one I think uh, is very appropriate for our discussion. It's called Geography of Bliss, One Grump's Search for the Happiest Places in the World. Wow. It was written by um, a correspondent for NPR, actually, uh, Eric Weiner. And he, he discusses different places he's been and, uh, you know, places that, that you might have some kind of happy experience and it's just kind of an interesting uh interesting subject especially considering the games and the gps and finding yourself in different places sure yeah that's yeah, very was, much i thought it would keeping, work yeah it's could very be a free book spirit. yeah good one well my suggestion uh i figure that when you use a gps device in this kind of way you're really kind of expanding your world knowledge mm-hmm. and there's really one true authority on all world knowledge and i would like to recommend his book. It is The Areas of My Expertise by John Hodgman. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, it's a book that contains everything he knows, and it's all lies, which makes it much easier to write. And there are a lot of hobos' names in the book, and I'm sure they would 
enjoyed having geocaching. Yeah, oh, sure. Exactly. Yeah, that you know, would be I the mean, sort of thing that hobos would be all over in a minute. Yeah. So you can get either of these or any other book at Audible's website by signing up at www.audiblepodcast.com slash techstuff. And remember, you get that free download. It's a great deal. That's true. So getting back to treasure, treasure hunting. hunting. Yeah, well, what I wanted to recommend to our listeners is that if you haven't already subscribed to Stuff You Missed in History Class, which is one of our, uh, I guess, a sister podcast, you could call it, uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, it has the lovely and intelligent hosts of Jane McGrath and Candace Gibson, and they talk all about historical uh, uh scenarios and they answer a lot of questions and one of the ones they did recently was a podcast titled could treasure hunters have discovered nazi gold ah uh, yes it's a very very interesting discussion that they have and uh it really d- dives into politics and morals and ethics geography uh it's just a great podcast and i highly recommend it Excellent. And if you want to learn more about geocaching or GPS receivers uh, or even letterboxing, we have all those articles up live right now at HowStuffWorks.com, and we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?